This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Rocket Mortgage brings the mortgage approval process into the 21st century with a fast, easy, and completely online process. Check out Rocket Mortgage today. Not tomorrow. Check out Rocket Mortgage today at quickenloans.com/fool. It's Wednesday, October 5th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Funds, Bill Barker. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. It's a short week for us here on Market Foolery. We haven't had one of these in a while, but uh, I and others are are shipping up to Boston for the uh, event we're having for members of our Motley Fool One service. But all the people that could do this are leaving. Here's the good news, though. We've got other podcasts here at the Motley Fool. So industry focus, you can check that out. Also, I'm gonna, I'm going to recommend a non-fool podcast episode for the investors out there, and that is WNYC produces a number of podcasts. One of them is entitled "Here's the Thing" with Alec Baldwin, and his latest episode is a conversation with Howard Schultz from Starbucks. And I listened to it the other day. It's great. What's it, it about? Uh, it's it, <laughs> what's it about? It's Howard Schultz talking about. The business of Starbucks, um, his path to um, where the company is today. Um, he talks a little bit about when he stepped away from the company and uh, was owning the Seattle Supersonics and how that went very badly. Um, and uh, it's it's just it's really great. And it is one of those things that, particularly if you're a Starbucks shareholder, as I am. I just feel even slightly better about the business with Howard Schultz running it. We got a lot today. We're going to dip into the full mailbag. We're going to talk housing. We're going to touch on. I know yesterday Jason and Mark did a little bit of a preview of the Google event. We've got one aspect of that event that we're interested in, but let's start with Constellation Brands. And this is the. Beer, wine, and spirits conglomerate, and holy cow, are they crushing it! Their second quarter results very impressive. Wine and spirit sales up double digits. They had strong beer sales, and this is one of those companies that does a really good job with acquisitions, as they have from time to time. We've talked before on this podcast about their acquisition of Ballast Point, and. They do a great job with acquisitions and bringing them into the portfolio of brands that they have. But what stuck, what stood out to me in this quarter was the organic growth that they're getting. I mean, anytime you can get double-digit organic growth, that's impressive. Yeah, that is an important point to look at when you're considering the quality of the growth, because something that is fueled purely by acquisitions. And if you're just looking at the top line, oh, there's something increased to 20 25%, and we've been acquiring things, you don't really know whether things were acquired at a good price or not, unless you dig a little deeper. Uh, but organic growth gives you that portion of the growth which is uh, has been part of your business over the, over the previous year. So, in terms of that, I think that the beer sales were the organic growth was. Um, well, for the total company, net sales were up 17%, and organic growth was up 13%. So, that gives you an appreciation, and it was sort of similar percentages for both beer and wine and spirits in terms of the breakdown of the what the acquisitions added and what the organic growth did. And, and as you say, 
uh, teens growth in an economy that is not growing in the teens or anywhere close to it uh, is very impressive, especially for uh, you know an established market and an established and competitive market. When you look through their their different brands, one of the things I noticed was, even though I am not a beer drinker, I'm much more familiar with the the, the brands that they have than you're much more familiar with their spirits, aren't you? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'm I, I'm a bourbon drinker, but the, the, when I was looking at their spirits, did you brands, drink a lot over the last quarter? <laughs> I mean, on a percentage growth basis, or was it really pretty steady? Uh, it was not double-digit growth. Not double-digit growth. Which is probably a good thing. Um, but no, I, they're, I'm not at all familiar with the brands that they have with tequila, vodka, brandy. That, Would you say these a, brands are too expensive or not expensive enough for you? I, I, I don't know. I, I'm literally looking at them saying, well, okay, if you tell me that's a vodka brand... I'll believe you, but I don't recognize it. As opposed to in the beer space, where they've got Corona, Modelo, uh, Ballast Point, I mentioned, and then in wine, they've got Woodbridge, uh, Rufino, Jackson Triggs. Uh, again, the 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 way that they have grown this company and shareholders have got to be thrilled. Because, oh, yeah. because this is a stock that's up more than eight hundred percent over the last five years. Right. They've they've increased. Their organic sales. They've made good acquisitions. They are improving their margins. Uh, it's one of those stories where, when you are growing the top line uh, at, a, at a really good and one might have to consider unsustainable clip, not unsustainable like your thirty percent growth stories, but this is a category that you should not be able to have organic growth at this pace and. Uh, you start by attributing the, the quality of management, uh, and then you have to say, all right, but still, can it grow this fast? If the market is pricing it as if this level of growth is what needs to be maintained in order to justify today's stock price, then you know you, you want to be sure that there is a reason that you can articulate why that would be the case. I think that in terms of the cash flow providing opportunities for more uh, acquisitions in in the higher end stuff. They, they're getting into the craft beer. Uh, they announced um, category today acquisition. Is this one that you know, the the whiskey? It's a, yeah, I, I I'm unfamiliar with it. Uh, so High West, High West, unfamiliar with it. Not your brand. I, I, I I've never heard of it. Not so, yeah. one of your many brands. <laughs> you're saying exactly. Okay. Uh, but the beer, their their best known beers are, are uh, Modelo, um, Corona, and Corona. And I I don't know why those are doing so well. They made a reference in their uh, quarterly report to winning July Fourth. I didn't know that was a competition you could win. Yeah, I heard that on CNBC this morning. It's like they won July Fourth. They won July Fourth. I I think that's one of those things. <laughs> That you just declare victory, right? Like how? Who could go back and check the record? Right. <laughs> we good. won July Fourth. Good. Good for them. We should do more of that in our business. Like you should like oh, podcast. Last week we won. You know, <laughs> who, who who's going who's going to contradict you? Who's going to come in and, and right. fact check that? Right. You think Marketplace Radio is going to deign to mention us and be like, wait a minute, no. You, I, I they heard, said over there at the Motley Fool they won. We won last week. Many people are saying that you beat them last week. Yeah. 
Many people are talking about yeah. that. Um, last thing, and then then we'll move on to um, to housing. Um, you mentioned the quality of the management. I, I have to mention Rob Sands, who is someone who has been at that company for thirty years. He's been the CEO for uh, nearly ten years, and you got to give this guy credit. And when they acquired Ballast Point, uh, there were some on Wall Street and some here at the Motley Fool. Saying, "Wow, that's a huge!" They, I think it was a billion dollars they paid for Ballast Point, and there were some people, not unreasonably, saying, "That is a hell of a lot of money for not a particularly big craft brewer." But I think that when you look at the stock performance, when you look at Rob Sands' track record, you got to give him the slack on that one. You do, uh, and and I I would agree, a billion dollars. Uh, it does sound like a lot, and I don't have the figures in front of me to figure out uh, just how much of a premium that was. Uh, but it, it's uh, right now, all credit is going to management. Whatever they do, the market likes because the bottom line is is justifying that. And you know, as with all businesses, at some point that will uh, run into uh, you know a pothole, but uh, hasn't yet. If you are worried about a housing bubble, I suppose this is good news. Uh, apartment sales in Manhattan fell nearly 20% in the third quarter, that is, uh, year over year. And I, I suppose this is, I don't want to say good news, but it's for anyone who's worried about sort of high end uh, real estate. Uh, and getting into bubble territory, then taking some air out of the balloon is probably a good thing. Oh yeah, as we've experienced in this country, when uh, prices come down, that can only be a good thing for all of us. <laughs> I mean, be careful what you wish for. Is my I'm not my looking. I'm looking. There. I'm not looking for a few more quarters of this. Uh, well, we'll see. But is we'll, this warranted? Warranted? I would say cheaper prices in Manhattan are warranted. Yes. I mean, just based on my experience of living outside of Manhattan and seeing what the price is there. So, uh, it's it, look, real estate is a cyclical uh, industry. And you could have had hints uh, of this from the other. It's not, not like this was a secret. This is just another confirmation uh, that Manhattan prices are, uh, and the market there is softening a bit. Uh, this got a little bit of attention uh, last week, when the uh, Forbes 400 list came out, uh, and and Donald Trump, and, and sort of the only thing that people paid attention to was the headline that Donald Trump's uh, the value of his holdings had gone down from 4.5 billion to 3.7 billion in the estimation of Forbes, and this was largely a function not of anything more than a, a softening in the commercial. Um, an office uh, real estate in, in Manhattan, and that his properties in some other places uh, had had done some had gone up, but um, you know in New York there was there was general and and a significant softening in the prices there. Now I imagine it's conceivable that Donald Trump would disagree with that estimation of the value of his properties uh, having gone down by as much as Fortune or sorry Forbes calculated them to have, but all they were doing was looking at what the New York market really is in terms of, uh, you know, commercial and um, an office, and, and now you've got some real estate, which just sort of confirms the same thing. Yeah, I think it is reasonable to assume that he disagrees with Forbes' assessment of his own net worth. 
we don't know. We haven't we haven't gotten through to him we uh, to ask. We, we don't know, but that's the smart way to bet. <laughs> um, speaking of real estate, wanted to say thanks uh, to Rocket Mortgage uh, by Quicken Loans for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. You've bought a home before. You bought a home a couple of times. I'm constantly buying homes. Well, sure. not constantly. You're not every every ten years or ish. You're not on Property Brothers flipping. You know, just flipping properties left and right. But you know what a Pain in the butt. The mortgage approval process is not really no, <laughs> not really no. You you have you have staff. You staff that out. I, I for reasons that I won't go into. Uh, I had an easier deal than uh, than than the uh, usual. No, that's lucky for you. But it, you know, it is. But yeah. next time around, Rocket Mortgage because they bring the mortgage approval process into the 21st century. They take all of the complicated, time-consuming parts of applying for a mortgage out of the equation. You can share your bank statements and pay stubs at the touch of a button and get approved in minutes for a custom mortgage solution that's been tailored to your own financial situation. And you know what, people? That's what you want. You want it tailored to your own financial situation, not Bill Barker's financial situation. You don't want any part of that. Or, or Donald Trump's. Or Donald Trump's. Like you go to Rocket Mortgage and they give you, you know, like assuming you're Donald Trump, here's your rate. You're like, you don't want that. You know what? That'd I mean, be- you might want that because maybe, maybe that would be a better rate. Here's what you want to do. You want to go to quickenloans.com slash fool. You want to play with their calculator and just go ahead and put in Donald Trump's name and his net worth and just see what you get. See what you get for it. <laughs> um, and again, the best part, you can do it all on your phone or tablet. Uh, but seriously, if you are looking to refinance your mortgage or buy a home, you can check it out at quickenloans.com slash fool. Equal housing lender, licensed in all 50 states. NMLS, consumeraccess.org, number 3030. Our email address is marketfoolery at fool.com. From Cliff Cotta, who writes, Hey, is it ever worth it for retail investors to join a class action lawsuit such as the one against lumber liquidators? I didn't buy a whole lot, just an amount I was comfortable losing if the stock went to zero, so I don't expect to get much out of a settlement. I feel like it's just another possible avenue to have my identity stolen since I have to mail proof of purchase and sale which includes my account number, name, and address. I'm trying to remember if I've ever gotten one of those solicitations. I, I don't know that I have, but I, I don't know. It, you probably didn't open it. Uh, yeah. probably came from your, your broker, and you said, this is one of those things I don't need to look at, and it's just going right in the, in the trash. But in your, in your, I'm sure you have. In uh, your former life as an attorney, Yes, you've been involved in this kind of thing before, haven't you? Uh, I have. I, I actually the first uh, job I had before I was an attorney as a paralegal was on a class action lawsuit, but uh, I didn't get to learn quite as much about the whole system there as when I served as as defense counsel uh, along with my others in my firm for a, a company that had been defrauded and um, ended up being subject to a class action lawsuit, uh, which was fascinating stuff. And and to try to answer the question first, um, yeah, don't expect to get much money out of it. You you can, I think the um, Stanford database, and they, they collect, uh, they're sort of a clearinghouse for um, class action lawsuits, uh, is maybe one to five cents on the dollar uh, recovery for plaintiffs. Um, wow. And... A lot of the time, the recovery will be something in the form of coupons. That is, if if you've got a, a for the grocery store, where well, let's say it's let's say Best Buy, right, is is subject to a class action lawsuit and ends up settling for thirty million dollars. Just to choose 
a random number and a random company. Uh, what that thirty million dollars will be, well, the, the lawyers will get ten million, and then uh, con- the, those who were part of the class will get twenty, t- quote unquote, air quotes, twenty million dollars, which is fifty dollars off of your next two hundred dollar purchase. And at Best that, Buy, and that at Best Buy, and that'll be oh, you got fifty dollars. We just gave you fifty dollars. Now you might get that flyer in your you know uh, Sunday paper as well, but that that is frequently uh, what the class action recovery amounts to. Sometimes it's money, uh, but it's never terribly a great sum of money. So, in terms of whether it's worth participating for that reason, I would say uh, I wouldn't you know. I wouldn't go spending that money right away, uh, but you might actually gain some education by following along and, and getting the filings and, and all that. Now, if you're a one of the named class, one of the lead plaintiffs, uh, then you, you typically get more, yeah, a, a reasonable amount. And there are, certainly at the time that I was doing this, there were sort of professional plaintiffs, people who would buy small amounts of a large number of stocks, um, hoping to lose money and then be the named plaintiff in, in, in a class action suit. Sounds like it works out best for the lawyers. It does. It does. <laughs> question from Patrick Mosca, who writes, I graduated from college two years ago and immediately started working full-time as a software engineer for Apple. Since then, I've been snowballing a significant number of restricted stock units that quickly became about half of my total income. I've been feeling a little torn as to what I should do with the shares as they vest. One part of me wants to sell my shares in exchange for an index fund, while the other half of me has some serious fear of missing out that my coworkers will grow rich off their shares while I am left in the dust. That's understandable. It's understandable. I'm just going to um, key in on a couple of the phrases here to highlight what, what I think might be a way of looking at that. One is talking about snowballing a, a significant number. Uh, the other is you know the the fear of missing out. Uh, and and I think this sort of highlights that there may be too much risk associated with this particular strategy, which is just standard, uh, and this is not personal advice because not not allowed to give that right. for, for whatever reason. And um, but standard advice is, Hey, if you've got a lot of stock in your in your company, so the source of your financial security is your job and your savings, and those are aligned in the same place, then now Apple's pretty secure place. They got however many tens of billions of dollars of cash they've got at the moment. So this is a little bit different than somebody in a smaller company where sometimes things go wrong in a company and people become out of work and their stock also declines along with it. So a little bit different for Apple. Um, you know, I, I think Apple is a great thing to own, uh, but if you have almost all of your money in one place, hey, Apple just spent a couple of years going nowhere, going down, depending on when you started and you know stop that clock, um, like anything else. Great long-term uh, company, but uh, I, I wouldn't have. If 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 the fear is I might be losing out to somebody else, I don't know if that's something that should direct your financial planning. Well, and uh, I'm going to go on a limb and assume that Patrick is in his twenties, and if you're in your twenties, 
and you've got an index fund that you're adding money to, whether it's every quarter, every month, every year, whatever it is, and you do that for, I don't know, the next four decades, generally, that works out pretty well for you in the long run. Mm-hmm. So, the Google event yesterday, when Mark Reith and Jason Moser taped yesterday's episode, it was before the event, uh, so they, they had discussed a little bit uh, of what they were thinking about what would be coming. And the thing that I think you and I are the most intrigued by, out of all that was unveiled from Google yesterday with the Pixel phone, is not just the colors of the phone, it's the name of the colors of the phone. Yes. So this this is a device that comes in black, silver, and blue. No, it doesn't. But no. <laughs> if if one were if one were just to look at a picture, uh, that's you, that's what they would say. And yet the names of the colors are really blue, very silver, and quite black. God, I wish I was in the room <laughs> when they were hammering that one out. Do you think this was focus grouped? I'm going to say no. You're going to say no. I'm inclined. And first of all, let me just say that, that I'm going to give credit to Tony Arsta for bringing this to my yes. attention. And, one of your colleagues my, at Motley Fool Funds. One one of the many fine colleagues I have uh, at Motley Fool Funds, and uh, I stopped by and asked people whether they thought there was anything worth talking about on the podcast, and for the most part, people said no. <laughs> Nah, no, can't see really. anything. Nah, it's no news. But Tony pointed this out, so uh, uh, I don't even know what to say about this. Really, you seem pr- appropriately outraged. Oh no, I'm not outraged. I'm. I'm. Why fa- not? I'm fast. Why not? Why not? <laughs> of all the things I in the said world, appropriately to be- outraged. <laughs> yes, appropriately. Zero. <laughs> I have zero outrage about this. No, I just uh, I. I think it's fascinating that they made this choice. I have to believe that there were loud arguments over which words to put with which colors. No, it's got to be very blue. It's like no, very goes with silver. I, that is it. That is an, an eyebrow raiser, isn't it? Because I can see very blue. You can picture in your mind very blue. I now want you to picture in your mind very silver. Yeah, it's not working. It's not working. <laughs> yeah. So it's really it's it's more of like a sphinx-like riddle. Ooh, I hear they've got a very silver thing. I need to check that out. <laughs> it had never occurred to me that silver could be made very. This may be the first time that silver has ever been modified with very. <laughs> when you saw that one of the names that the, the name of the black phone is quite black, did you, as I did, immediately think of this is Spinal Tap? When they come out with a new album, and it's just like, how much more black could this be? Uh, none. None, <laughs> none more black. None more black. What if they had named it that? If they had named it none more black, I would. You'd be buying. You would have bought a few I would have, I would have, by now. I would have bought one. I absolutely would have bought Your one. Your shirt's kind of, you know, quite black today. No, it's not quite black. Of, no, it's, no, it's a. It's, it's a, not. It's not quite as black as as this new phone. No, it's sort of faded. Sort of faded. How much more black could it be? A little bit. A little bit. A little bit more black. Unlike the album in Smile Tap, where none, the, none more black. None more black. Um, you can join us on Facebook. We have a uh, a group uh, for Motley Fool podcast. They're kicking themselves today. Who is the Google people? Yeah, the, I'm the gonna, none more black. 
I'm gonna first. I'm gonna see if anyone has already made this joke on Twitter, which they probably have. But if not, I'm gonna. They, you're you're patenting it. Missed out. You're going. Your Twitter. You're going out on the Twitter with your own joke today. Yeah, and just saying you missed out. You yep. had a chance, Google. You had a chance, and you blew. This it. is how you're gonna uh, pimp the podcast today, aren't you? Yeah, that's one of the ways. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, in our Facebook uh, group, uh, which is just entitled Motley Fool Podcast, and we. we Invite anyone who's on the Facebook to join us. A uh, comment from Wendy Elliott Murray, who writes, I'm not sure which of your staff plays real tennis, and the phrase real tennis is capitalized. Uh, I know it was mentioned in the podcast once. My son plays it and loves it so much that I am now taking lessons too. I shared this with you because I thought, well, to the extent that we ever talk about tennis, it's when you're in this room and you informed me that real tennis, capital R, capital T, is what people in the UK call court tennis. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. So, and court tennis, as longtime listeners know, is uh, what they play in Middle Earth, and it's uh, it's it's the forerunner of ten- it's the tennis that it, literally in Shakespeare's time they played. Yes. And you play this. Your son plays so this. So, in Shakespeare's time, it was called tennis, and then eventually, uh, in the 1880s, um, there was a game invented and patented called lawn tennis. It was originally called sphoristiki, but uh, eventually was was referred to as lawn tennis to distinguish it from tennis. Uh, and then the game lawn tennis, whether it was played on on a lawn or as it was later, uh, including uh, on clay and hard courts, uh, that just shortened to, to tennis and and the game that had been known as tennis had to go with real tennis, or in this country, court tennis. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've bored enough people with all that. Uh, <laughs> but fascinated to hear that really anybody is listening at all uh, and and paying attention to those times when I ramble on about court tennis. or as they Great say, Britain, great place for, for uh, real tennis. Yeah, or as they say across the pond, real tennis. Yeah. Uh, delightful. Uh, it's got more courts than anybody else by far. Can you work court tennis or real tennis? Choose, choose whichever way you want to phrase it. Can you work that into an upcoming installment of Declarations, the free monthly newsletter from Motley Fool Funds? Uh, why? Thank you for raising the Declarations. <laughs> available. I was actually going to write something about the history of um, Donald Trump's uh, uh, um, uh, wealth and and how it has uh, amassed in in comparison to uh, normal equity investing because there are some interesting divergences. I don't know if I can work real tennis into that or not. Maybe as a bank. Oh, I could, you know, because there was talk uh, from the U.S. United States Court Tennis Association. Funny you should bring this up. Uh, <laughs> and they went down and talked with uh, Donald Trump at, I believe, Mar-a-Lago about um, building a court there because it is it it has, I guess, enough and I don't consider this a, a positive thing, but enough of the sort of aura of the game of kings and, and exclusivity and things like that, that it might appeal to Donald Trump's particular vision of, of what his establishments uh, look like. And so I think there there was a, a cocktail party or something like that at uh, Mar-a-Lago probably ended up being um, you know written off or tens of millions of dollars or something <laughs> as a tax deduction for somebody. I don't know who. 
you can go to Motley Fool Funds and sign up for declarations. And now, do it if only to see if, if court tennis makes its way into an upcoming installment. Bill Barker, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Ann Henry. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>